One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Matea reminding you that this show cannot be made without you. If you've been thinking about becoming a Canada Land supporter, we're having a pretty great sale right now. You'll get premium ad-free feeds of all Canada Land shows, discounts on merch from our store, and exclusive bonus episodes, like a behind-the-scenes tour of the federal budget lockup, more of Boris Johnson's trip to Canada, and of course, more of us yapping about what's hot in politics right now. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canada Land supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special offer for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. Just go to canadaland.com slash join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Hey, it's Fatma Sayed, and this is The Backbench, a podcast about Canadian politics. So in case you missed it, the Conservative Party is on the search for a new leader, their third in so many years. After Stephen Harper, the Netflix-watching human who united the right. Something you might not know about me is that I love movies and TV shows. There was Andrew Scheer, the guy who fought tooth and nail against the carbon tax, drank some milk, lost and left. I truly do believe that chocolate milk saved my son's life. Then Aaron O'Toole, the guy who tried to bring the Conservative Party back to its roots or closer to the centre, or both. I am driving the bus to make sure we get this country back on track. Anyway, he lost and then left. The deadline to register as a candidate for the Conservative leadership race was last week. And this Friday is the deadline for registered candidates to move from confirmed to verified if they can get signatures from 500 party members and raise $300,000 in registration fees and a compliance deposit. As usual, there are the moderates and the more staunch conservatives. There are household names, former cabinet ministers and people you've probably never heard of. Now, the first debate will happen on May 11th, with another on the 25th and a possible third in August. The party will choose a new leader on September 10th. That's a long way away. Look, we've established that we here on the backbench don't like horse races. We also don't like speculation. We often think democracy starts at Election Day, but it doesn't. This step, picking the leader of a major political party that will eventually run for prime minister, is an often forgotten one. But it matters because it determines the course of Canadian politics for the next several years. So we're not here to talk about who's going to win. We're here to dig into what we know about these candidates, their records, and their policy positions. Who will become the next leader of the Conservative Party and get a shot at becoming the next Prime Minister of Canada? I'm joined by two people to help me assess the candidates here. Nick Taylor-Vasey, author of Politico's Ottawa Playbook Newsletter. He's in, well, Ottawa. Hi, Nick. Hey, Fatima. And Jason Markasoff, a backbench panelist who is appearing on the show for the last time before starting a new job at CBC Calgary. Boo. 
This is bittersweet, and I'm going to have to get all my fucking swears out before I go to public <laughs> broadcasting. Let's get into it and meet the candidates. So the first bachelor, I mean conservative contender, is Pierre Polyev. Governments have gotten big and bossy. That's why I'm running for prime minister, to put you back in charge of your life. Together, we will make Canadians the freest people on earth. Nick, he's been making a lot of noise. He's been drawing thousand-plus person crowds in rallies across the country. He wasn't exactly invisible before, but he had a pretty sharp rise in public profile recently. Well, what I think is amazing is that uh, Pierre Polyev has never really changed. He wrote an essay in the very late 90s when he wanted to be prime minister <laughs> for a contest that really talked about freedom and the importance of freedom in a country like Canada. And here he is more than 20 years later. The signature piece of his leadership campaign is making Canada the freest country on earth. He doesn't really compare it to anywhere else in particular, but he just wants to make Canada freer. And so there's this consistent line throughout his entire career. And when it comes to his rhetoric as well, and it's just sort of his tone, his approach, that hasn't changed much either. He's kind of the same guy now in front of these big crowds that he was in the House of Commons years ago. I mean, he's been elected for seven straight times. His rhetorical style has remained consistent. He's loud. He's aggressive. What is sickening is to see the wealthy elites here in Canada and around the world consistently breaking their own rules. People say that he's not like that behind closed doors, but he's definitely like that most of the time in public. And he's maintained that in his public persona. So consistency has defined his career. In his paper, did he define what freedom is or what freedoms Canada needs? Talked a lot about building freedom. <laughs> so whatever that means. It's um, just another word for nothing left to lose. That's all Jason, I know Jason, this man is from your hood. He grew up in Calgary. You know, as a kid, he was a competitive diver, wrestler, hockey player. He became concerned about the economic situation in Alberta, worked as an advisor to Stockwell Day. What's your take on him? One of the interesting themes you'll pick up, there's not a lot of commonality between a lot of these uh, candidates, but for quite a few of them, especially the prominent ones, uh, they were babies when they got into politics, when they got into elected federal politics. Polyev was 25 when he started in this job. And I'm allowed, I'm 40 now, I'm allowed to say he was a baby when he got into politics at 25. Um, he's now 42, so he's been doing this for a long time chunk of his most of his adult life you know he seems to be born to be this keener be this policy guy i think at first he kind of seemed like this smarmy little uh smart ass in politics but a few years ago mclean's magazine uh which as of yesterday i no longer work for um he was named uh smartest parliamentarian by his fellow mps there's a lot of respect uh, for his smarts and his capacity to hold information and remember things and his deep appreciation of parliamentary tr tradition. Um, but there's also this sense that he's a relentlessly partisan, exaggerative um, fellow. Um, he'll say he just asks facts in parliament, but he's also somebody who's prone to blaming all of inflation on Justin Trudeau and the central banks. But the prime minister says he doesn't think much about monetary policy. Clearly. Uh, that's no surprise. After all, it's Justin. Flation. 
you know, willfully disregarding uh, the various other factors uh, like supply chain issues, oil prices. Um, he's willing to to do that to uh, help his partisan uh, partisan goal. So he's very smart and he knows how to uh, wield rhetoric and what people want to uh, sometimes willfully disregard um, facts or uh, twist uh, everything to uh, suit his ends. Nick, you've been watching him up close in Ottawa. What can we learn from his record and, you know, the things he supports and votes for? Yeah, well, he was a staunch Harper conservative, for sure. He was the parliamentary secretary to Harper himself. So he was kind of his point man in parliament. If somebody had a mean thing to say about that PM, then Polyev was the guy who was standing up in front of him, taking the bullet every day (laughs) in the House of Commons. He did rise through those ranks. He became a cabinet minister. So the one thing to remember about him is that he did serve in government. Like he didn't just serve on the government side of the House of Commons, but he he knows what it is to run a ministry. It appears he has no love lost for bureaucrats and public servants because he seems to want many of them to lose their jobs if he becomes the prime minister. But his his record is that of the Harper era. I think one distinction is that there have been some conservative MPs over the last seven years who have backed away a little bit from parts of that record and parts of that Harper legacy. For example, the uh, niqab ban at ceremonies um, and a, a snitch line for so-called barbaric cultural practices. There have been some MPs who've said, yeah, that was the wrong thing to do. I'm not aware of anything that Polyev has backed away from in, in those times. So if you look at what Harper did and is proud of, you're likely to find what Polyev did and was proud of. When we look at his background, how is that playing out right now? Like this guy is pulling in huge crowds. Jason, do you have any sort of insight or perspective on why he's so popular right now? I don't know if people who are coming out to watch him or really admiring him are thinking of what he did in his ministries or, you know, that they're not like, you know, enthralled by his electoral, their electoral reform attempts or what he did in employment. Um, They're really interested in the here and now of Polyev and his the, the profile he's kind of built subsequently on social media. Um, during the federal election, he put out this uh, really interesting and much discussed um, video talking about inflation, a very slick video where he was holding an apple, walking across lumber um, to talk about uh, how, you know, his his theory of how Justin Trudeau and um, printing money by the Bank of Canada has single-handedly caused every, the price of everything to go up and us have terrible deficits and everything. The most striking thing about it was that it was not branded as for the Conservative Party or for Aaron O'Toole's Conservatives. It was just branded as Pierre Polyev MP for Carleton or candidate for Carleton, which was his riding in uh, eastern Ontario. It had been clear from then that he was looking at a leadership race, that he was looking beyond um, Aaron O'Toole, who seemed unlikely to win from the get-go of that election, And beyond that, he's been building other social media profiles, showing support for the trucker convoy more lately, um, you know, showing love for cryptocurrency and attracting crypto bros, shouting freedom from every uh, corner he can. People are not enthralled by this guy who's been a politician since he was 25. They're enthralled by this guy who's saying this stuff here and now. And it's stuff that they can sink their teeth into. It's, It's red meat for conservatives that have been disappointed by people since Harper, uh, like Sheer and O'Toole. Well, it sounds like Pierre is first and foremost for himself, Nick. Like, will he have an easy time making friends in the party when it is Pierre first, party later? 
Yeah, I don't think he suffers for ego, but um, <laughs> but I think it is worth saying that much as I agree with what Jason um, is talking about, the, this is a, a zeitgeist that Polyev is tapping into some existing conservative members, but a whole bunch of people who aren't conservative members and his challenge is to convince them to become that and take the next step. All of that's true. But I think along the way, what what is happening as well is he is exciting the hell out of conservative activists who who run campaigns and who join campaigns, like the kinds of people who actually make events happen and empower not just a leadership campaign, but eventually a general election campaign, whether they're working in party headquarters or regionally or for a local campaign. And he's exciting a ton of those people. And they're pumped about what he's able to do for what they see as a moribund party that needs basically someone like him who can shake things up. And it's not just party activists um, that are excited by him. It's the caucus. He has nearly half the MPs far more uh, yeah. su- already supporting him far more than any other uh, on the other individual. And while this, you know, it's very much self image making. Um, he also um, portrays this humble message where he says, um, I want a parliament where we are the servants, not the masters. Uh, this very populist, you know, I am, you know, the conduit of the grassroots, not the aspiring commander of the world, even though if he is, saying quite brashly and um, you know, procedurally incorrect, if we want to be an attentive, um, this Pierre Polyev for prime minister thing. My last question, if you could describe in one sentence what a conservative party under Pierre Polyev would look like, what would it be? A brash, unapologetic conservative party that stands for... Don't say freedom. Whatever, whatever it needs to stand for to win. <laughs> We are unapologetically firmly conservative, just like we incorrectly remember Harper as being. (laughs) Okay, conservative candidate number two. She came third in the last conservative leadership race, Leslin Lewis. What kind of nation do you want to be? I believe that Canadians are ready to reject the division and the demonization of the Trudeau government and choose unity, hope, and compassion once again. Where did she come from? Who is she? So she came from Jamaica and she grew up in East York. And now she is uh, running for the leadership for the second time and uh, much as she was a surprise candidate in the last race, now she's not the establishment candidate, but she is an established candidate. And she's got a voter base. She's got people who are motivated. She's got donors. She's getting crowds, not quite as large as uh, Pierre Polyev, but sizable and in places you might not expect, unless you know the work she's been doing over the last several years to to cultivate an audience and a base. But I mean, she's going to rural prairies and, and rural British Columbia and attracting crowds. And she's, she's not from there. <laughs> she's from over here in Ontario. I also think she's just fascinating. She's, you know, a black woman, like the only racialized contender here. Um, a former Bay Street lawyer, taught law at York University, has a law firm in Scarborough, has a master's in environmental studies, and was called the choice of social conservatives. Jason, make sense of this. What is Leslin Lewis's vision for the Conservative Party? She was this fascinating and very curious and striking figure in the last leadership race where people did not know her, although they did, you know, hear that resume and say, huh, she's interesting. 
and she was especially a contrast and did not look like the archetypal conservative leadership candidate as represented by O'Toole and McKay, two stuffed shirt lawyers who were MPs and whose parents were also in the business. Um, she's much more clearly defined, I think, this time than last time as a social conservative, will likely be the choice of those who are uh, for whom abortion and euthanasia are big issues. She's also carved out one of the few candidates uh, here who've carved out quite a path on vaccinations. Uh, as far as I know, she hasn't disclosed her status, whether she's been vaccinated or not, and has also expressed quite a bit of skepticism about vaccines on uh, social media. Um, has got, got a lot of attention, uh, negative and positive, depending on who you are, from that. And um, is uh, one of the many candidates who's uh, talking a fair bit about uh, freedom from vaccine mandates. Um, so her lane is more defined, I think, in this one. And we know you were talking about her in the West. Um, she's She did very, very well in Western provinces last time on the second ballot, managed to get more votes um, than either Peter McKay or Aaron O'Toole. Um, but because of the way this uh, voting happens, didn't uh, have a chance to win. So she garners a lot of excitement among conservatives, especially because she she is this person who appeals to Christian conservatives, um, people who are big on pro-life issues. And now she's going to carve out some of her niche on uh, vaccine mandates, although many people have uh, are trying to occupy that lane among conservatives right now. Nick, again, you've seen her up close in Ottawa in, in Parliament. She's very, um, you know, when she gives speeches in the House of Commons, she's a very passionate speaker. What do you make of her record and how do you think it'll translate into her vision for the Conservative Party? I mean, I I think her record is, I would say, in Parliament, is not all that distinguished. She hasn't been a parliamentarian for that long. She's not running on her parliamentary record, right? She's running on this, uh, well, a lot of what Jason talked about, but also this idea that people need to be listened to. Mm. And I think that gets at a bit of a broader appeal than just kind of the morally focused kind of conscience conservatives to a broader view of a social conservatism, which is people who just have strong family values, people who who would say that they believe in their family and they believe in, you know, they may be Christian, they may be any faith, but they may not be like a hardcore pro-life voter who votes on that issue. Mm-hmm. I think she's looking for that too, because that's the kind of voter that's going to help her broaden the base from last time where she was able to make waves and become something of a kingmaker. I don't think a lot of people are predicting she's going to win, but if she can broaden the definition of social conservatism, then she'll come closer for sure. Okay, I want to ask the same question I asked for Pierre. If you could define her vision for the Conservative Party in one sentence, how would you do that? <laughs> it's so hard to do this. Um, a Conservative Party you may not recognize, but you're going to feel comfortable with. Swap out the word freedom for values, and it's kind of a different version of a Pierre Polyev. <laughs> That's very interesting. <laughs> Okay, conservative contender number three. The one with the longest CV in politics, former liberal premier of Quebec (laughs) and former leader of the federal progressive conservative party, Jean Charest. Who can unite the party and who can lead us into the next campaign and allow us to form a national conservative government? Jean Charest was considering running for this 
position the last time the job was open. And famously, Stephen Harper stepped in and kiboshed that attempt. Um, so Sheree is making, a, I guess he's gotten further this time than last. And, um, you know, he wants to be he wants to be prime minister. Jean Charest has wanted to be prime minister for most of his adult life. He, um, like Polyev, uh, entered politics at a very young age, way back in the in the Mulroney era. And now's his shot. You know, he was a relatively unsuccessful progressive conservative leader. He saved the party from extinction, but didn't get much further than that. Uh, then he went to become premier of, of Quebec. He was basically forced into that job by people who feared that Quebec would separate. He was successful as a premier for a number of years, but then his time came to an end because his government was riddled by uh, allegations of corruption and and just a long track record that uh, led to many bumps and bruises. He left politics and uh, was a lawyer for a while, and now he's come back. Yeah, you know, as you say, he was the youngest cabinet member in history under Brian Mulroney. He was his environment minister, and we know that government created so much federal environment policy that still exists today. He was part of the Quebec referendum on separation, you know, debate. He was the vice president of the No campaign. Um, so why didn't Harper want him, Jason? And why did he come back to federal politics after all that drama? I think it was one of those uh, interpersonal tension situations with Harper. There was some distrust of some people on the old PC side. Uh, there were certain people who were quite you know, decidedly red on the Tory scale that uh, that Harper didn't like. Uh, Charest now is talking about trying to you know shed these labels, mm -hmm. and it seems like one of his propositions is to attract people who are, quote-unquote, blue liberals, um, people who feel that the liberals... Liberal Party under Trudeau, and especially with this NDP alliance, have uh, abandoned the fiscal and political center. Um, Charest's proposition is that he can grab people who are disaffected liberals and, uh, you know, appeal to general mainstream centrist Canadians in a way that a Polyev or a Lesson Lewis might not. And uh, one of his big uh, pitches in this is moderate and electable policies and personalities to win after two, where the two last two uh, conservative leaders failed. The challenge he's facing, though, is that his record may depress his vote, certainly in polls, public polls. We're not seeing him out polling Pierre Polyev among the general public, and we're certainly not seeing him out poll the uh, poll Polyev in general. His his background, he's had associations with Huawei, controversies with him and the Energy East Pipeline, um, you know, he was the corruption scandal in uh, Quebec uh, that wound up not only losing, seeing him lose his government in 2012, but also losing his own seat on his way out. So he can boast experience, he can boast um, bringing sides together, but he has this legacy of getting himself into a whole bunch of hot water. Nick, jump in here because I understand why he's so credentialed for the job. I understand also, you know, why he's trying to broaden the base by, you know, targeting disenchanted liberals and, and disenchanted conservatives. But what I don't understand is why now? I think because the job is open. <laughs> Sometimes it's as simple as that. Well, he's, he's still young enough that if he wins and becomes prime minister, he can have a couple of terms before he's well into his 70s. Because he entered politics so young, it means that he's now only in his early mid-60s. Job's open. He didn't take it last time. He didn't take the opportunity to run couple years have passed, time's ticking. So when's he going to do it again? 
I know we're only a little bit into this very long race, but it's being framed as a Jean Charest versus Pierre Polyev battle already. Is he going to have an easy time making friends in this party? If he wins, I'm not sure how easy a time he would have getting the Polyev wing of the party, which is substantial, um, over to his side. Um, He's really carved himself out as the anti-Pierre candidate, which I'm sure will be appealing to a lot of people, but um, for huge chunks of caucus um, that uh, are are firmly in his camp and are quite wary of of moderation after what happened with Aaron O'Toole, that's going to be a big problem should he take this. People like Jenny Byrne who's running his campaign, um, who just hated Aaron O'Toole. I mean, she's a, and she's got a lot of influence uh, with, with people in that party. Um, she was a right hand to Stephen Harper over the years. Um, a lot of people also in that party hate her. <laughs> uh, she's a lightning rod, but I don't know how she could still be, for example, a member of the conservative party. So um, if Polyev wins, I think you have a much easier path to people making friends and having a united front. If, if Sheree were to win, Again, he, he may actually be better able to win a general election, but party might still fall apart around him um, even more catastrophically than it did the last two times uh, the conservatives tried to pick a leader who wasn't Stephen Harper. Okay, same question as last time. If you could describe his vision for the conservative party in one line, go. If you don't like Trudeau, but you're not so afraid of liberal policies, I'm your guy. <laughs> I'm not liberal but I'll get them to vote for me. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to we're gonna hate these in, in, w- like okay. in an hour so much. And we're going to be so annoyed that they're on the air. <laughs> Listen, we got to put you awesome. on the spot. Conservative contender number four, a man who kept a poster of Jean Charest in his bedroom as a teenager, Patrick Brown. A vote for Pierre Polyev is a vote for more years of Justin Trudeau and the NDP running Canada. He can't win. I'm running to lead the Conservative Party of Canada because I know how to build a broad, values-based, multi-faith, multicultural movement that will return our party to government. Patrick Brown joined Barry City Council at the age of 22, ran for parliament, lost, ran again in 2006, won three elections, became leader of Ontario's Progressive Conservative Party, had a good shot at succeeding Kathleen Wynne as Ontario Premier until sexual misconduct allegations came out. He resigned. Doug Ford entered. Then Patrick Brown moved to the private industry, became mayor of Brampton, and now we're here. Um, Why is he entering the race, Nick? Has there ever been a time when a, a job has been open? And I don't mean this totally as a slight, but has there ever been a time when a job has been open somewhere in the vicinity of Patrick Brown in public office when he didn't go for it and didn't like do everything he possibly could to win? It just it's just his thing. Every level of government, Barry, Brampton, he would run elsewhere. He you just know he would. He's a man who likes to be in office. He's a man who likes to forge alliances with political allies and get things built that then he can say, I got built. Um, he loves to hate his enemies. He wrote a whole book about it. He settled scores. He, there's no score he won't Paul settle. Take down, I might add. <laughs> man, it's he is quite a political animal. I think he's running for prime minister because somebody said, you know, man, you could do it. And he said, yeah, you know what? I can. And he works hard. He works day and night. Um, Jason, I know like Patrick Brown is an Ontario name. 
So is he going to struggle in this race getting signatures from people outside of Ontario? And does he need them? Yes, this is going to be a big challenge for uh, for Patrick Brown. Unlike Polyev, Harper did not see a lot in Patrick Brown. He never made cabinet. He was never high profile. Like, you know, he mostly made the press because he would uh, be a key player in the uh, House of Commons hockey game. Otherwise, he didn't make much of a splash in nine years. And then he entered, you know, Ontario politics, got out of Ontario politics in a quite stormy way, has uh, now spent the last four years in Ontario municipal politics. And you need to, you, you can get a, a zillion votes in Ontario, but because each riding is weighted equally in this race, uh, you cannot do well with only Ontario votes. So he's had to hustle around the country, um, trying to sign up members, trying to enlist uh, supporters in a lot of different communities, especially in a lot of uh, new, new Canadian or ethnic uh, immigrant communities. But that's a, a big challenge because there's not so much time to, uh, sign up members. I mean, they only had from uh, when things started a few months ago or a few weeks ago uh, till uh, June 3rd, if I'm not mistaken, uh, to sign up members. Yeah. And Nick, for all the years that he spent in politics, I don't exactly know what kind of record he has to show for it. Speaking as someone who lives in the region Brampton is in, he's not really done much for that city since he's been mayor. And as progressive conservative leader in Ontario, the one thing that people talk about is his support of the carbon tax which he's now against. So what kind of vision is he setting out for the Conservative Party? Well, he's making a huge pitch for religious freedom. Jason pointed out earlier that Charest is, is setting himself up as the, the anti-Polyev, but so is Patrick Brown. He's trying to anyway. And so his argument, I think, is basically, I'm not Pierre Polyev because he can't win the country. I'm Patrick Brown, and I believe in progressive ideas that conservatives can believe in, things like religious freedom, which is also a socially conservative idea, depending on how you <laughs> depending on how you present it. And I'm not sure that he's opposed to carbon pricing, right? He's maybe more nuanced than he was in his uh, Ontario PC days, but he's not talking about slashing and burning the Trudeau record completely on fighting climate change. I could be wrong about that. Maybe, I'm, maybe I missed a, an outburst of his, but where Polyev wants to take down everything that Trudeau has created. Um, I think Brown is trying to offer a more nuanced view that is more palatable to more people. One of his uh, value propositions that he's making, he's making actually very various values propositions to various um, various communities. There was an incredible story by Stephanie Taylor of uh, Canadian Press that talks about him going to a Nepalese uh, community and talking specifically about visa offices in Kathmandu talking about cricket infrastructure and uh, taking the Tamil Tigers off the terrorist list to a Sri Lankan community meeting. And these are announcements and promises he's making that are not public on his website, or he's not making to a general public. He's making them to individual communities. That could be a potentially very effective way to sign up uh, certain, uh, you know, solid numbers of, of uh, conservatives in various pockets of this, uh, this city. We're an incredibly diverse um, country of course, and uh, there are you know potential to engage huge numbers of people with some of this uh, stuff. But if it turns out he's making very specific, narrow promises to very specific, narrow groups of people um, that may not have appeal to the broader public, I could get him into a whole world of hot water. I've actually seen Patrick Brown in action going into communities. Like he was at a mosque that I frequent for Ramadan recently, and he engages well 
with communities of color. I don't know how that translates into a larger, like, party level. But maybe that's the point. Maybe this is a stepping stone to something. So with that in mind, one sentence to describe Patrick Brown's vision for the Conservative Party. It really depends on who you ask. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know what? I'm just going to echo that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so this is the part of the conservative contender reality show where I just do a montage of the other candidates who are probably not going to win, but we should talk about them. So there's Roman Faber, a former progressive conservative MPP in Ontario who was kicked out of Doug Ford's caucus in January 2021 for being anti-lockdown. Scott Aitchison, a conservative MP since 2019 and former mayor of Huntsville, Ontario. He's pushing a unity angle. He wants to end supply management. In the House of Commons, he's given several speeches about bringing people together. Then there's Leona Alislev, a former member of parliament from Aurora Oak Ridge's Richmond Hill, who was voted in as a liberal but crossed the floor to the Conservative Party in 2018 over disagreements about economics and foreign affairs. She was actually deputy leader under Andrew Scheer and then lost her seat in the last election. Then there's Mark Dalton, a conservative MP from Pitt Meadows Maple Ridge in B.C., formerly an MLA for the British Columbia Liberal Party. So, guys, of these lower-profile candidates, sorry, but it's true, who do you think has the greatest chances of becoming a serious surprise underdog black sheep contender in the race? Scott Aitchison is not going to win, you know, uh, barring some kind of earth-shattering moment where he captures the attention of the nation. But he is positioning himself as a credible conservative, um, and he will win his riding again. Um, he's not really attacking his opponents. Uh, he's implying that he's better <laughs> than them because he's stressing collaboration where Polyev says, I'm going to force cities to do all of this and and fix housing through coercion. Scott Aitchison is saying, we're going to work together and cities are going to have incentives to increase supply and make housing more affordable. And it's, it's a softer, brighter um, message if something can be both softer and brighter. Uh, when he wins his riding again, if Polly ever, whoever takes the, the title, becomes prime minister and they need to name a cabinet, I think it's fair to say that Scott Aitchison would be a slam dunk. Um, he will have built his profile and he will have built his uh, built up his credibility. It's not that he didn't have credibility before. It's just that he was mostly unknown because there are a lot of rural conservative MPs who look like him. Mm-hmm. Um I would argue that there aren't that many that sound exactly like him. And what I mean by that is he's a pretty persuasive speaker. He's a he's an orator. And when he's in parliament, uh, where most Canadians don't hear him, <laughs> he sounds great. I mean, it's the kind of he's the kind of guy you sit down and listen to. So he does distinguish himself in that way. And I think that's a natural talent for a cabinet minister. So that's why I think that he stands out, even if he, he won't end up winning. Um, I think he will go the distance, though. And I think he will garner some support. So he will be an also-ran, but... But I'll, and also Ren that's on the same stage as everyone else. Okay. So watch HSN for wholesome vibes in the conservative leadership Big race. Time. <laughs> Big time. Jason? I don't think any of these people are reasonably hoping they're going to be leader. Um, they are spending uh, $300,000 of other people's money to raise their profiles or 
be, hopefully, I think their ideal is deliver enough votes to the eventual winner, uh, so as to uh, have some uh, some chits to cash and favors uh, should they, you know, either appointments or to the cabinet or other things. I mean, for for Leona Alislev, she wants you know probably to get her name back out there so she can hopefully win her riding again should she want to. Um, for Owen Babber, he's done with provincial politics, so maybe he's hoping to raise a profile so he can seek a seat uh, under the new leader. Um, in the next election, but barring any complete collapse of the top four candidates, um, none of these people will be in the conversation on the final ballots. So we've got our contestants. Now it's time for our most likely to section. If you've ever read a high school yearbook or watched a bachelor show, you'll understand the premise here. Who's most likely to talk about the heart and soul of the conservative movement? Oh, all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Jason? Uh, it, it will probably be most in Charest's mouth, that phrase, because I don't think that's a cliche that Shpoliev uses. Okay, most likely to have some kind of public flame-out. Patrick Brown. Patrick Brown. Most likely to have an embarrassing racist picture surface. Pass. I don't want to go. I don't want to go there, to be honest. <laughs> Crickets noise. Um, most likely to bother Trudeau so much that he has to say something public about it. Uh, Polyev. Polyev, but I think Trudeau's in ignore mode for the, for now. Most likely to spill chocolate milk on his shirt or her shirt. I mean, can I say that if it were the '90s, I would say that's what Patrick Brown just did before that photo that everyone's seen of him on his bedroom floor because I think that he was maybe a chocolate milk kind of kind of teenager. I, I, I want to say Rowan Beber. I don't know if I'd let uh, Rowan Beber uh, hold my cafeteria tray. <laughs> Most likely to upset unions. I guess Polyev. Because he wants to tear down government. Polyev is, uh, is like, was born to be union bait. Most likely to release a banger of a campaign song. I think maybe Scott Aitchison. I mean, his first video was like a J. Crew ad, so maybe. It's very possible. You know what? It was awesome, but I think he's. I think there's probably like a band in Huntsville <laughs> that would do it for him. I have in my head now uh, the image of uh, a very uplifting uh, church choir and uh, some pretty clean electric guitar licks uh, behind Lesson Lewis. I actually love that. I want that to be real. Okay, most likely to be compared to Stephen Harper in a newspaper column. Um. Oh. Uh, my answer to all of these is Polyev. Uh, but it's definitely not Patrick Brown. It's definitely not Jean Charest. It's definitely not Leslie Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so who does that leave? It leaves the guy who was his parliamentary secretary. I, I, I feel there will be the most ink spilled on comp- compare contrast uh, with Harper pieces on Polyev. Most likely to get Aaron O'Toole's endorsement. Publicly, nobody. Uh, privately, I would bet that he will vote for Jean Charest. Oh, intrigue. If Aaron O'Toole really wants to uh, support Jean Charest, he will not say so publicly. <laughs> he will say nothing publicly. <laughs> Most likely to agree to an interview on the backbench. Scott Aitchison wants to talk about ideas, and he wants to be the ideas guy. Uh, so he will uh, definitely uh, crave uh, some backbench time. Yeah, can't disagree. Yeah, he's the ideas guy. It's funny, fellow backbencher Murad Hamadi said the exact same thing. Um, so we're gonna, if Scott Aitchison, if you're listening, or Jamie Ellerton, 
if you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, last two questions. Who has the best slogan? We have Patrick Brown's fighter, leader, winner. Leslin Lewis's help, unity, compassion. Jean Charest's built to win. Mark Dalton's for a stronger nation together. Scott Aitchison's the right approach. Pun intended? Question mark. Leona Aleslev and Roman Baber have no slogan. And then we've got Pierre Polyev for prime minister. So, okay, I, I have like a multi-part answer. I think fighter leader winner would be solid, except it's disqualified. There's a veto because he made that the URL of his campaign website, which is just <laughs> absurd. It's just insane. So he's he's vetoed. And then the right approach is, as, I mean, I'm, I'm, I want to love Scott Aitchison as a, as, a, as a member of this race. You know, he's the ideas guy, but man, it just falls flat. Uh, and then you've got Polyev. And what is it? It's like for prime minister? For prime minister. He's so shameless and it's so effective. And so it has to be that. Fighter leader winner was a pretty good stars song in its day. Uh, <laughs> the rest are eminently forgettable. Okay. Why does this race matter? And why should people pay attention before we get to September and, and really learn who's trying to lead this party? With every passing election, it becomes more and more likely the incumbent government is going to lose. Um, people get tired of the same prime minister. Um, scandal bedraggles a government if they stick around too long. Um, it's very rare in politics that any party, provincial or federal, um, wins four straight elections. So it could very well be no matter that no matter who the leader is, um, Keynes will be hungry for change in the next election. And uh, the default alternative to liberals is the Conservative Party. Uh, So there is a very good chance that whether the uh, Conservative candidate who wins has for prime minister in their slogan, that they will become prime minister. The other big reason this matters is because to some extent, the Canadian political discord will shift to adjust to that person. If the leading right-wing critic is... Jean Charest or Leslie Lewis or Patrick Brown or Polyev, it will look very differently. And the liberals and commentators in the media and even the conservatives will be saying and thinking and discussing different things based on who the leader uh, is. Um, so it, it will trans, it will in some ways uh, transform our entire political discourse. A little bit in the same vein, I would say that there are a lot of conservatives in Canada and there are, you know, depending on the election, more more people come out to vote for other parties. But there are a lot of conservatives, and it is a complex uh, voter coalition. Whether or not they coalesce and elect a prime minister, that's up to whoever the leader is. Uh, but when they don't do that, there's a lot of disgruntled conservatives out there. And I think what we have witnessed over the last few months is with trucker convoy and just um, that kind of populist burbling that's happening is that when people on that side of the spectrum, probably both sides to some extent, but on that side of the spectrum, don't have a kind of a common leader that they can they can all kind of compromise to respect and then elect, um, it gets, if not dangerous, just a bit unwieldy, the, the discourse in Canada. Um, Stephen Harper, I think, is his greatest accomplishment was earning the respect of so many different kinds of conservatives over and over and over again. 
a little bit in a messianic way after a while because he was the party's founder and he was the guy who who could do that. And they haven't yet found someone who can repeat that feat. But I think what it produced was a more stable political discourse in Canada, even if it was still volatile because people hated him on the left and in the center. And I think you had a more coherent politics and uh, the country's better off for that, I think. But in a post-Donald Trump world, is that possible? Is the Conservative Party able to go back to that sort of, you know, central, focused, tight, stable, to use your word, um, political discourse? I think persuasive leadership changes a lot, and it can change the conversation in a second. On that note, I'll adjourn. Thank you both for being here. That was such a good primer. I learned so much about these guys and the party. Um, Nick, I hope you'll come back. But until then, where can people follow your work? They can Google, because I don't know the URL, (laughs) Politico, Ottawa Playbook, and then they'll find all of my work. (laughs) We'll put it in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) Politico.com. And Jason, we're going to miss you, man. You're the first person to sign on the backbench. Thank you for bringing your smarts and your time and your funny points of orders um where can people now follow your work i'm going to listen so hard to the to all the shows as i always do on a tuesday morning when they drop uh, fatima this show is fantastic i love that it's weekly now um you can find my uh my ramblings now and forever on at Marcusoff on twitter We hope this episode will help you uh, prepare for the conservative leadership race ahead. And we'll be back next week with our politics panel to break down the most important stories happening in Ottawa. We'd love to hear from you. Send us your questions, your concerns, your rants. You can email us backbench at canadaland.com. We're also on Twitter at BackbenchCast. I'm Fadma Sayed, and you can find me on Twitter at Fadma B. Sayed, and you can find my work on the Narwhal. This episode was produced by Kevin Sexton with additional production by Tristan Capacione. Our managing editor is Kieran Outhorn. The music is by Nathan Burley. This show is listener supported. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, you can now get a premium ad-free feed of this show as well as Canada Land's other political shows for $2.99 a month. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you soon. I didn't swear enough. Balls. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.